She's a natural beauty maven, an exquisite entrepreneur, and a spokeswoman for more than just her nationally loved brand, Schmidt's Naturals. She's Jamie Schmidt. From small town Michigan to the farmer's markets of Portland, Oregon, to being a widely awarded businesswoman and investor, Jamie Schmidt has had a winding but highly successful career. Committed to raising the bar and disrupting the beauty industry, she's made a name for herself by promoting passion and motivation in all she does. So what led her to start one of the biggest natural product brands in the world? What are the challenges of going from a one-person team to being acquired by Unilever? And what advice does she have for someone looking to create a revolutionary product in a saturated market? All this and more, this time on How I Got Here. So Jamie, where did you grow up? I grew up in a very small tourist town called Frankenmuth in Michigan. Um, it's on the east side of the state, about an hour and a half uh, drive north of Detroit. It's um, a city that is known for its uh, large Christmas store, which is uh, supposed to be the world's largest. <laughs> and then they also have a couple restaurants with this famous fried chicken. Um, if you call 1-800-FUNTOWN, you will reach the city. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we'll give it a try later. Yeah. So did you enjoy growing up in a small town? Or I guess that's I kind did. of all you I knew. I mean, it was all I knew at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the maybe drawbacks is that, you know, everybody knew what everybody was up to, which mm-hmm. could be problematic as you get into high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was great. It was very safe, uh, great sense of community. Uh, I had everything I needed. You know, it was a... Yeah, definitely a community-oriented town, but a lot of tourism, too. Definitely tourists coming through there a lot, especially during the holidays. Mm-hmm. It's fun to go back now. Yeah, I'm sure looking back, you're kind of... It's like the Star's Hollow effect of, like, everybody knows everything. Right. And it's, there's not much to do, but going back, it's much more fun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we used to... Um, we called it cruising, where we would drive from one end of the city to the other. Oh, my gosh. At night, on the weekends, that was what we did. And there's this little um, covered bridge, like a wooden kind of Bavarian-style bridge, uh, that we would go, you know, drive through as part of our weekend adventures. Oh, I love that. <laughs> there wasn't much else to do except hang out at McDonald's or go cruising. Yeah. yeah. So were you somebody that, like, school, did you grow up kind of feeling, like, invigorated right. by going to school? Um, I don't think I've overthought it either way. I mean, I think as I got, you know, through high school, I had great grades and everything. I didn't, you know, I liked it. I saw it more as kind of a social scene. Um, but and then once I got into college, I think that's when some of the mixed feelings started playing in. Um I was really, you know, kind of struggling with like determining my major or what I wanted to do with my life. And I, I went to college because for one, you know, my parents great graciously paid for the entire tuition, which was awesome. Um, and then my older brother, he was a couple years older than me. He went to Michigan State University. So I kind of thought, well, I'll just follow in his footsteps because I don't know what else to do. Um, but I was attracted to the um, Big Ten University or so I thought mm-hmm. going in. But it was definitely overwhelming and kind of a big change coming from this tiny little town. Uh, it was certainly, you know, there was a party scene there, which, of course, I got dragged into a little. Um, but I didn't always identify as, you know, a college student. I didn't join a frat or a sorority. Or, well, obviously not a frat. I didn't join any sororities. Um, but it took me a little time to settle in. And, you know, once I found a group of friends and some places in the city that I felt comfortable with, it, it was fun. You know, it, it was good. But I think I was so young. I always think people coming out of high school and going straight into college, they're so young. And there's so much, like, world experience that they haven't yet had. And, you know, to be thrown into this community of college-age kids all around you is kind of overwhelming. It is, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's the one thing about Portland State. There's so many kind of second-degree comers. So people yeah, come back I and they're, like, that. in their 20s. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I was thrown into college and right. didn't really know what to expect. But like it's, It would be 
it would be nice to have taken a couple years off after high school, maybe, and mm-hmm. thought about things. But then again, you could find you could get lost that way too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when you were at Michigan State, what did you study? I started with a, a degree in business. I kind of just chose it because I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I was, you know, I was interested in it. I always had, I guess, a bit of a business mind. Um, but I didn't really know, you know, what that meant or what I, where I wanted to take it. Um, I started with hospitality business, which was hotel restaurant management, and I was mostly attracted to the schedule of that, believe it or not. So I liked the idea of working weekends and holidays and not this, you know, typical nine to five thing that everybody else fell into. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I got closer to graduation, that kind of scared me. I thought, maybe I do want a regular schedule and I don't want to be working when no one else is working. Yeah. Um, so then I switched over uh, to an emphasis on human resources. And I, again, I kind of just grabbed it. Um, without really knowing what else I wanted. Um, and it was sort of appealing to me because of, you know, the human element, the ability to work with people, but still be, you know, kind of in this business environment. So I, I knew that I was, I still had some soul searching to do that I wasn't going to settle in and be hundred percent, you know, content in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. So did you go straight to master or your master's program afterwards? I or did you take I some got time? a couple jobs first. I um, started working for, I worked for a couple different staffing companies, um, as an actual employee of, of the staffing company. So we would be recruiting people you know, for other temp jobs. Um, I did that for a bit. And then uh, when I moved to Chicago, uh, about a year after uh, graduation from Michigan State, I got a couple jobs in human resources. One was at a gas technology company, and then the MacArthur Foundation was my next job. Um, but once I started at the MacArthur Foundation, I decided to get the master's. Um, and it was more... More of a, I guess, another opportunity to kind of expand my sort of uh, options um, for my future. I didn't still, you know, know really what I wanted to be doing, but I thought if I get this other degree, then I'm opening up, you know, greater opportunity for myself. And so I chose sociology because I felt like it was related to HR enough, um, but also could potentially open up other doors to something a little more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the idea of uh, studying, you know, people and how they work and how they you know, function in groups. Yeah. So is there anything that you learned in that program that really kind of pushed you towards becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think about that a lot now, um, looking back. And I think so. I mean, if you think about groups of people like, you know, consumers, for example, when I was mm-hmm. growing my business, um, you know, that's that's the, the root of sociology is the study of groups of people, you know, their behaviors and things. So I think there was certainly some overlap there and some things I learned. Yeah. Yeah. So not to jump too quick into yeah. Schmidt's Naturals, but... Um, when you first started thinking about that project, what was like the light switch that made you realize, oh, maybe I right. could pursue this? Yeah, yeah. It, it certainly started as a hobby. Um, I was kind of on this quest to find um, sort of a pastime that would be fulfilling for me, right? Because I wasn't quite finding it in my career, so I thought, well, let's look at um, opportunities outside of work. You know, what can I do as a hobby that might bring me some fulfillment? And so. I started exploring with um, making my own body care products, and yeah. it was really, really fun. I was enjoying it. I had dabbled in other things like sewing and um, other kind of crafty projects, but once I started formulating um, these body care products, like there was this fire lit inside me, and I thought, this is cool. I'm going to keep going with this. Um, and then I, I saw the opportunity you know, in Portland to start taking my products to farmer's markets because there's no shortage of markets and opportunities in the city. Mm-hmm. And um, once I was there, I, you know, it kind of just it, it hit me like this is something that I like and it's something that I could be doing. And I think there's a real need for it in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, my deodorant was the product that people were really most passionate about. I had other things at the time, but the deodorant is the one that was you know, life-changing and people were telling me it's 
the best thing they tried. And, um, you know, I had personally been on this quest to find a natural deodorant that worked and nothing was, was working for me. And so I was also pregnant at the time. Um, so there was that factor playing in, you know, for using healthy products. So on my skin, so. Did you ever expect it was going to become the phenomenon that it's become? You know, once I committed to it, I was just in it 100% and I wanted to take it all the way. Yeah. Um, I knew there was an opportunity in the market for a, a business like Schmidt's because the deodorants were not just, you know, generally ineffective, but also kind of bland looking. I felt like there was an opportunity to shake up just the way, you know, the products looked on the shelves with their packaging and, and definitely the scents. Like that was something that I... Um, disrupted with, you know, without a doubt is these new innovative um, scents. And so, you know, I, I didn't overthink it much. I, I knew that I liked what I was doing and that customers were responding well to it. And I was going to keep going with it uh, without looking too far ahead. And then, yeah, things happened fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So were the early days kind of, I guess, like you just said, things picked up quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, when you first started gaining popularity, was that something that you were kind of shocked by or thrown yeah, off? Yes by? and no. Um, when I was at you know these markets, for example, I was I had such confidence in the product that I was you know pulling people over to my booth like you have to try this and you know it's going to change your life and I you know it, it wasn't hard for me to sell it because I believed in it so much um, and so but of course yeah every time a customer would say something you know positive about the product it was the, the greatest feeling in the world you know and that's what kept me going yeah um, yeah for sure and it was a really great opportunity to be face to face with these customers who really refine my product, right? I had these built-in focus groups right there in the community and it was just an awesome opportunity to tweak the product and make it, you know, the best it could be. Yeah. So kind of touching on the, um, like ecological standpoint mm-hmm. maintaining like this healthy brand. Um, do you feel like you kind of disrupted that, the industry, the personal care industry? Yeah, do you know, I do. I, I genuinely do. Um, you know, Schmitz took on the tagline a couple of years in, um, the new face of natural. And that's, you know, really what we became. And I feel like we've really paved the way for other brands that were, you know, or are today trying to do the same thing, yeah. which is awesome. Because I think there's definitely a shift in the industry towards healthy products that, that work, you know, just mm-hmm. as well as these conventional brands that have been around forever. Yeah. Do you see a lot of like greenwashing and people who are kind right. of trying to follow that same Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. I mean, one, we have these big, huge heritage brands that have been around forever and they're recognizing like to keep up and compete with these new brands, they need to do something differently. Right. And mm-hmm. so they're looking towards products that are, you know, healthier, cleaner, more natural. And I, that the word natural and, you know, some of these other terms um, are so general and so mm-hmm. subjective that it's, you know, it's hard to say whether someone's intention is to greenwash or whatnot. But I think one area, too, if you think about the new brands, these young brands, the inexperienced ones, mm-hmm. I think a lot of them come into this with, you know, maybe these claims or this marketing or saying things that out of naivety, maybe without mm-hmm. completely researching it. So I feel like you get a little bit of that too. And so I think as the brands grow, they start to understand like, you know, legally too, what you can say, what claims you can make on your packaging and stuff. So I really think it falls on the consumer just to be as educated as they can. And the great thing is that in today's society, people talk, customers are talking and there's no shortage of information just within the consumer community. Yeah. I've always been super interested in the makeup and the healthcare or not healthcare, sorry, mm-hmm. the makeup and the personal care industry. Mm-hmm. Cause I think there is so much, um, it's so based on the consumer and I've seen this like rapid growth of just brands coming out with products every other week. Right. And it's for big brands. I'm sure it's easy to maintain, but mm-hmm. for smaller independent brands, 
I can see how that's so hard to keep up with. It's crazy. Like, it's so competitive, too. I mean, if you think about just the natural deodorant industry in general, like, yeah. every time I get on Instagram, I see an ad for a new one. Yeah. And, like, I like to say that, hey, like, Schmidt started this whole thing, which is awesome. But, yes, yeah, very competitive. I think you, to stay afloat, you have to have a very unique angle. You have to be doing something differently. You have to have values you can stand by and be able to speak to them with the most authenticity. Yeah. I think that's appropriate for any industry that you're trying to create a product for, though. Right. I think there's, you know, people create t-shirt brands or, you know, other small makeup brands, mm-hmm. and it's it's like everything else. And so they fall down right. and they become part of the pack and it's not, you're not standing out. You're not becoming an independent brand right. that people see. Um, and I do see the ads. I see like an independent or like, you know, natural toothpaste brands. Mm-hmm. And there's one that you do during the day and one you do before bed. And right. it's, there becomes a point where it's like the products that are coming out are becoming unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's, it's fine to buy random stuff that you might not actually want or need. But there's a point where when businesses continuously come out with these products and it becomes saturated, it leaves no room for actual entrepreneurs who have a perspective that's different from everyone else. Yeah, for sure. Great point. And I think it's it's overwhelming for the consumer too, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to make sense of everything. They look for these central uh, sources of information to, you know, really tap into like maybe it's an influencer that they trust. So they're following this person. They're just trying any product that the influencer recommends because yeah. it's like there's so much else going on. It's hard to make sense of. Do you think the influencer market is kind of key in this industry? Yeah, now? I do. I mean, it's that itself could be overwhelming too. I feel like, mm-hmm. as, for example, as Instagram continues to gain popularity, then we see more influencers, and it's like, how do you choose? You know, the one that <laughs> speaks most to you. And right. So I think it's great to be on top of the scene and like involved in it, but also being able to step back. And think for yourself, too, because you can mm-hmm. certainly be influenced in a way that you maybe isn't the most natural fit for you, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, starting in the YouTube generation, like so many people mm-hmm. in my generation, that was how they found things. Whether right. it was movies, music, beauty products, um, that whole industry is exploding. Right. And there's these influencers who make millions of dollars per Instagram post. Mm-hmm. And then the authenticity kind of wanes. It doesn't seem, even if they put the hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored, there's something about it that doesn't seem real. Yeah, that's the tricky part. Yeah. And I think, again, I keep going back to consumers talking Mm -hmm. amongst themselves. I think that's where you're going to get the most, you know, trusted information or the most genuine feedback. Oh, yeah. I think there's quite a few, um, like, blogs online Mm -hmm. that do a good job at that. Like, Man Repeller, Into the Gloss. They've all done pretty good jobs with letting the consumer speak for themselves and say, Hey, these are the 20 things that I enjoy. You might not like it, but it's always interesting to see everyone's different opinions on one same product as well. For sure. And I think that's one thing that Schmitz did really great throughout our growth was letting the consumers talk and not stepping Mm -hmm. in too much. Um, For example, maybe we'd have a social media post where a customer would ask a question and then we would, you know, sit back and watch as another customer would answer the question and then everybody would talk amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we would enter you know, a comment here and there if there was um, something that was, you know, misrepresented or maybe more information was needed to educate the consumer. But the most effective, you know, methods of communication we saw were just letting customers talk amongst themselves. And was that like an intentional marketing tactic that you guys yeah, chose? Yeah, it just kind of came naturally to us. You know, okay. we wanted the most sincere, authentic brand. And how else can you get it with, you know, without letting letting it just develop itself naturally? Yeah, naturally. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> 
Um, so kind of moving into more current times, um, in 2017, is it 2017 that Unilever came in? Yes. Yeah. We began talking to them early mid year. Yeah. And it all happened pretty quickly. Um, the deal officially closed, uh, December 31st, 2017. Yeah. So what was that process like? I mean, were you kind of apprehensive at first right. when a massive yeah. conglomerate came to you well, and said, you know, I think back to when I started Schmitz and it certainly isn't something I had thought of, you know, ever until, you know, several years in and starting to understand the reality of, you know, the, the competitive marketplace that we were playing in. Um, and then I started, you know, considering it, kind of keeping it in the back of my mind, you know, what would that look like in the event of a, you know, merger or an acquisition or whatnot. Um, you know, Schmitz, once we launched Mass, for example, in Target, uh, Walmart, we were outselling some of these, you know, heritage brands two to one. And so they were watching us, you know, yeah. they knew we were there and we were a true, you know, a true threat. Um, and so we did, we did start seeing interest from, you know, not just Unilever, but others who were interested in uh, getting some of the, the Schmidt sauce yeah. <laughs> on, on their side. And so, you know, we um, entertained multiple conversations and talked to a lot of people, investors and strategics and, you know, uh, consumer products uh, companies. And um, Unilever was a great fit for us. You know, we felt it right away. We, a lot of our values were in line. We knew that the brand was in good hands. I think one thing that I was really attracted to was that um, they didn't have any intentions of, you know, really shaking up, um, you know, the things we were doing in terms of our, our branding and our mm-hmm. messaging and, um, you know, keeping a lot of our key staff on, you know, employed to continue this beautiful thing we had created and not, you know, not come in and change it. Yeah. So it was more of a partnership than an acquisition, like you'd say? I that way, for sure. You yeah. Know, and with this partnership, we gained access to, you know, some great things that we didn't have, you know, d- distribution channels and um, supply chains and things like that. Were you worried about the quality of your product changing based on that? That was definitely a consideration that was up for discussion, you know, throughout throughout yeah. our conversations and it was something that was obviously very very important you know to our company and so um, you know we had the reassurance from there on that there were no plans to change it you know only expand on our product lines and not, not change the existing products that we did have oh, that's great yeah, that's i great. feel like that's not a common thing that happens no with small i don't brands. think it is but i think it's becoming more common i think as these bigger companies are looking to acquire smaller brands or you know these disruptive brands like schmidt's i think they understand the importance of keeping them you know Maintaining authenticity. Yeah, yeah. For sure, because they come in and change it, and then she just, just becomes another brand that's been around forever. You know, we had to keep that authenticity, that, that newness, that yeah. like, yeah. The freshness. Yeah. Yeah. So, kind of when you guys started this partnership, mm-hmm. what was your involvement like? Yeah. So, there was, you know, this period of kind of transition and getting to know their systems and then getting to know ours. Um, I took on a role more as a spokesperson, less involved operationally. Which um, for me felt like a really great fit. You know, I was at a point in my career where um, I was kind of ready to sort of step back from the the, the grunt work and all this like the hardcore, yeah, <laughs> just like every single day. And so it's been great. I've been able to stay connected to Schmitz um, and represent the brand in a way that feels good to our customer. I think our consumer base likes to know that I am still involved, and they love the story of how Schmitz started. Nobody ever wants to lose that, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's been good. It's been a really healthy relationship. I feel like probably most consumers don't even know that there was even an acquisition or that you're even partnering yeah. with Yeah, you know, we didn't hide it. It was certainly yeah. something, you know, we, we celebrated even. And, um, you know, there was some response and moments our consumers that we, we had to address. And I think um, once people understood, you know, our decision, everybody has been really supportive. And it's great. And there's so many customers that have been with Schmitz from day one. I mean, people that I met at the farmer's markets back in you know, 2012 um, are still using the product. It's yeah. really cool to hear from them. 
Well, it's really great to see just a small idea become such a massive phenomenon. I mean, you, I can name all the amazing awards you've received, but it's, it's great to see a woman kicking ass, if I may say on my own podcast, (laughs) for my cuss, um, in a really difficult industry and an industry that's really saturated now. I mean, maybe not 10 years ago. I, I can't imagine. I, can't even recall natural deodorant being on shelves mm-hmm. more than three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's it's a general transition that p- consumers are becoming more aware of the things they're putting on their face or their body yeah, or sure. in, in their body. I mean, the clean beauty trend has really taken hold, which in some cases might just be a PR thing, right? But I think you guys yeah. genuinely really care about the product you're putting out. And it shows whenever... It, People really love your product. Yeah. Um, and there's many other products they could choose, but they mm-hmm. always, I, I've talked to people about it and they're like, nah, I always go back. Whether right. it's the smell, it's the texture, yeah. whatever it may be, um, you guys are rock stars. That's, You're a rock you. star. You. Yeah. You know, I, I look back on these early days and, you know, think about how I was able to cut through the noise and build this into this huge thing that it's become. And, I'm so motivated now to inspire other people to do the same. I mean, I talked a little bit at the beginning of the podcast about just this kind of soul searching journey I was on. And there's a whole story there about, you know, different jobs I had tried and this and that. Um, and just not giving up until it felt right. Like this is something I'm really passionate about. And if I didn't have that passion, like the brand wouldn't be what it is today. No. Um, that was the, the build. That was the foundation for Schmitz. And now I'm just like, I think of my purpose as, you know, just motivating others. And I can see a great response from people, you know, trying to, whether it's build their own business or just, you know, find themselves in their own career path or whatever it might be. Um, I do see them responding well to, you know, some of my messaging and my example. And that is really rewarding for me. Yeah. So what are you up to now? Now that you're kind of, as a spokeswoman, mm-hmm. you have some extra time on yeah, your hands. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff going on. So I am doing a lot more speaking engagements. Um, I have some exciting things lined up for this year. Uh, it's really great to have time for this kind of thing because when I was, you know, so heavily involved in the operations of Schmitz, I just didn't make time, you know, yeah. to get my, put myself out there and talk. And um, so I like that. I'm excited to be doing that now. Um, there's been some investment projects that my husband and I have been looking at, which has been really exciting. I'm really attracted to... Um, kind of the maker scene, um, you know, especially here in Portland, it's mm-hmm. really, really huge and it just continues to grow. And yeah. I, you know, I want to support these people who are, you know, trying to do kind of what I did. And I really admire brands who have these humble roots, these, um, you know, stories similar kind of to my path. And it's, um, super fun for me. Yeah. yeah. Are there any companies in particular that you're really repping right, right now? Um, there's a couple that we're talking to and we have some, you know, things we probably announce a little bit later this year, but I think in general, just the scene in Portland has, you know, there's always been this kind of maker community, but I yeah. feel like it's become so much more sophisticated over the years. Mm-hmm. Like I went to a couple kind of holiday you know, sort of craft shows um, this past December and just seeing the quality of stuff that's out there is really impressive. Yeah. I feel like it's come a long way and the talent in the city is outrageous, you know, and I think that's true across the country, mm-hmm. but Portland of course is always, you know, been one of the like really hardcore maker scenes. Yeah, I love that. We want to make our own stuff because other people aren't making. Yeah, it. right. Yeah, it's like yeah, that and a lot of people in the city you know are making cool things, and so you're yeah. like, I'm gonna do some. What's you know what's my thing? And that's kind of what started me with Schmitz too. Is like I wanted to sort of keep up with this whole artistic scene. Like you know everybody was 
making art or in a band or whatnot. And it was yeah. like, where's my place? What can I do? You know, deodorant. Like, cool. And it was deodorant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who would have thought, right? Yeah, I think but. there's quite a few companies just like off the top of my head. Wild Friends Peanut mm-hmm. Butter. They started in college making peanut butter for themselves. That's funny and... you say that because that actually was our, my first investment project. After, oh my gosh. <laughs> no way. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, we were public about it. You know, yeah. It's no secret. Um, the founders, Keely and Erica, are amazing. Their story's beautiful. And you're right. They started in their college dorm room. And, um, my husband Chris and I, you know, had met with them, um, sort of see where we might be able to help, and we see, you know, so much opportunity to help, t- you know, continue to take their business to the next level too. Yeah. Um, so that's been really exciting. For us. Yeah, I think specifically the peanut butter industry has become. It's like the deodorant, the peanut yeah. butter industry. It's like this artisanal thing that people are actually realizing. Like, oh, people are want to spend ten dollars on yeah, peanut butter. Yeah, it's great. And even kids. You know, my son is nine. We were sitting in bed last night eating peanut butter out of the jar of the spoon. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend peanut butter in bed. No, no. <laughs> if you have white sheets. <laughs> but it, you know, like it's 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 certainly trending. Yeah, it's a healthy thing. So it's great. I think it's but when you come back and look at these brands that have become so successful, even if they are in like these kind of niche markets, mm-hmm. it's always like this allusion to nostalgia and the things you did as a kid that yeah. make you feel good or the things you used as a kid, but better. Um, and it's, it's great. Like you said, in Portland, there's so many makers and there's so mm-hmm. many people with these amazing ideas um, what kind of, what advice do you have for people who maybe are looking to do that yeah, and looking to break good. into that? I think it's just don't slow down ever. I mean, obviously, you know, be, be cautious, be careful and be smart about what you're doing, but like, don't, don't stop. And I think if we sit around think overthinking things or, you know, questioning ourselves or getting caught up analyzing what the competition's doing, that can really slow us down. Um, and there's no time for that in such a competitive market. Mm-hmm. You know? So when you um, you're are you doing any strategic work right now with uh, a little yeah. bit yeah a bit yeah, yeah yeah so have you found that to be kind of rewarding after working in on your own company and being very strategy focused I'm sure yeah it's been fun I mean there's so many brands that have come to me looking oh wow you know, for help with their own strategies yeah and it's it's fun and it's um but it is crazy to see how many companies are out there hustling and yeah. trying to make it yeah for sure yeah. it's you can look at Instagram and the ads that pop up of like oh my god this yeah. is great. And it's, it's becoming, um, I think Instagram has become like the new like magazine for ads like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. And it's funny because I, I didn't really use Instagram when I was building the business, except for the business. Yeah. I yeah. didn't have a personal thing going on there because I didn't make time for it. Right. Like, Who cares about me? Like, I got to build the business. Yeah. But now that I've had, you know, some more time to put into it, um, I've been on there a bit more, you know, supporting my own personal brand. And um, yeah, it is crazy. It's you know, obviously it's become a bit of an obsession for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like finding that, that balance of that, you know, but yeah. it's so, I learned so much on there. And yeah. You know, like about brands that I might be interested in, I never knew existed. And yeah. So you're right. You know, advertising on there is huge. And the great thing is you can kind of control to some extent what ads you see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You try to just be careful what you click on. Right. No, there have been times where I've like, I've been talking about it, not even near my mm-hmm. phone. Just been, oh yeah, like Burton snowboards. So you should check this out. And then 20 minutes later, it pops up on my Instagram and I'm like, this is, yeah. they're listening. You never know they know. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> so um, what do you, what are you curious about in the industry right now? Yeah. I think it's just continuing to see how these smaller sort of disruptor brands are going to really impact the greater industry. Like you think about some of these brands that have been around forever mm-hmm. um, and what, how they're going to keep up. I'm really curious to see how that all plays out. Right. And it's like, you know, Schmidt's getting acquired by Unilever was huge. 
for the industry and for, you know, somebody who started as a maker. And I want to continue to see that. And I wonder, like, you know, was it a fluke? I don't think so. I think it, it's the trend. I think it's that's what the industry is shifting towards. And I'm really excited to see how all that plays out. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's kind of been a movement from, it's even funny to see, like, online exclusive brands going mm-hmm. brick and mortar. Yeah. And these and big brands going smaller, whether it's through private label, whether it's through, yeah. you know, creating smaller brands. And I think it's the it's the authenticity thing. People want to believe that they know the brand mm-hmm. through and through. Right. Whereas, you know, you look at a bigger company like H&M or Sephora, where it's like there's so much going on right. and you don't know how much has been vetted. Yeah. That it becomes difficult to believe anything yeah, that advertisements exactly. say. And it's like this this mix, like the perfect mix of having the authentic story, having like beautiful branding or packaging, but then the product has to work too, yeah. right? So like that's the secret recipe is like all these components together. Right. It's, you know, it's not easy. No, it's yeah. not. I think that's the last thing, the latter thing that the product actually working right. becomes a challenge yeah. for some people. You have a great idea up front. Mm-hmm. You have all the branding. You have a great graphic designer, whatever it may be. Right. But if the product sucks, right. Yeah. You're not going to go very far and people are pretty easy to wipe it off. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's not something else to try. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if there's only three brands for this one specific industry, you know, it'd be like, okay, it doesn't work very well, right. but yeah. I guess I'll use it. Not so much anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And with Amazon, with oh, yeah. 600 million SKUs or whatever it may be now. You can have something at your door that day. Oh, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. I think it's funny. People get pissed off when shipping takes more than two days now. <laughs> it's like five years ago, I would have been happy to get something within a week. Yeah, I mean, my, my nine-year-old is at seven, you know, he'll be like, well, why don't you just order it on Amazon? We can have it here in a couple hours. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't think like Please. We used to have to carry it across right? the country yeah. on the backs of horses, oh, and now it's... Good droned into our yeah, garage. I, you know, I'm guilty of in, indulging. Oh, I'm yeah. very grateful for, for it, you mm-hmm. know, but, but it certainly is, is a shift. Yeah, yeah, another disruptor right. in the industry. Yeah. 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 So um, kind of wrapping up here, unless you have anything else you want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. What's something that you see people regularly doing that improves their success? Mm, I like that. I think it's, you know, I go back to this kind of moving quickly thing and not you know if you stumble or you have a setback or whatnot just just getting back up and, and going you know you can't I think it's it, a lot of people get stuck and they don't want to you know they, they're so afraid to fail you know naturally we're humans and we, we don't want to fail but I think you know we just have to find learning experiences from everything and it sounds kind of cliche but I even I like you know I'm getting a little off topic but one thing I think about is um back in my days of you know trying all these different jobs and figuring out what it is I want to do rather than, you know, sitting there all depressed or sad or upset that I hated my job. I always tried to find something, some value in what I was doing, right? Mm -hmm. Something I could learn and take with me. And I think that perspective was really healthy and helpful and really one of the, you know, the best way to get by. Yeah. And so I think, um, people that are able to think of things that way tend to, you know, see more success come into their lives because it's just this attitude of, get up it builds character yeah yeah well it's also the thing that you have to try things and if you don't try things you don't know if you hate them or love them right so if you're i mean for example i worked in a law office in high school Mm -hmm. that's not what i wanted to do but i was like i have car insurance to pay yeah um coming to college i worked a couple other jobs that i was like this isn't what i want to do but Mm -hmm. it's getting me to a place 
where I can actually afford to choose right. where I want to go. And, you know, there's sometimes there's opportunity to have a job that's maybe low stress or doesn't require a lot of brain power, but then it frees up your mind to focus on other things. Yeah. Or, you know, to be sort of on the side, just figuring it out, you know, what, what is it that I want to be doing next? Yeah. So I think always being, yeah, staying as positive in the moment and keeping some freedom within your mind to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything you'd like to plug before we finish up? Oh, oh boy. Well, if you want to keep up on, you know, some of the fun stuff I'm working on, you can um, follow me on the, on the Insta. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> Jamie Schmidt, 22. Uh, 22 was my lucky number growing up. And, um, there. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, in the Schmitz, obviously, like, is um, definitely a product you want to check out. I mean, SchmitzNaturals.com to, you know, let's hear the whole story and see what our full product offering. Um, that's my business plug. Yeah. <laughs> Any personal plugs? Any fun things you've seen or done lately? Yeah, just keep watching. I have some fun stuff in the works that I'm not quite ready to talk about. Um, but I think if you, you know, follow me and my social and I have a newsletter you can sign up for through my website. Yes. Um, I'm doing a lot in the community, which I'm really excited about. My husband, Chris, and I have some uh, fun projects that we're um, pulling together. And we, we make a great team, so I feel really good about the future of what we're creating. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jamie. Thank you. It's yeah. been fun. Today's show was filmed in Portland State University's Carl Miller Center. This show is brought to you by the Center for Retail Leadership, inspiring change through collaborative experiences between future thought leaders and industry to design the future of retail. For more updates on the show or to find out more about the Center for Retail Leadership, visit our website linked in the show notes. This podcast was edited by ThatCast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience with a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com.